We're starting a brand new series, as you guys saw, titled Blood and Thunder. And you, you probably saw the video, saw the text, and saw everything, and you're like, wow, man, Pastor, that's an aggressive video. That's like, come on, blood and thunder, what, what are you talking about here? And, and I love the imagery associated with this series. This is a simple two-week series, okay? It's going to be a real quick two-week series, and these two are connected. So if you miss next week, then make sure you tune in to the video, because we've got a, a great video team that does a video for you guys every single week. And uh, if you don't like video or you listen when you're driving, you can listen to the podcast. We put it up on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. These two are connected to one another, so it's important that you get both of them in particular. And the imagery here of blood and thunder is exactly what I'm looking for. It's exactly what I think we need to recognize as followers of Jesus and of followers of Christ. So let me uh, ask this question really quick as we get started. How many people in here would love to see a move of God? Anybody? Anybody would love to see a move of God in the city? We'd love to see a move of God in the city. Maybe in your workplace. Maybe you're one of those people that's like, I just need God in my workplace because these people about to tick me off, right? Like maybe you need God in your workplace. Maybe you've been one of the students or you're a teacher and you're like, man, I'd love to see a move of God in the school system. I would love to see a move of God in the youth or in the colleges. I would really love to see God move in powerful ways in our culture. And I'm sure that many of us have, have felt that way. And I don't know about you, but I know I want to see God turn the, the city of Fredericksburg upside down and on its head. I want to see lives changed, marriage restored, people getting back to what God created them for instead of chasing after desires of the world. I would love to see that. Um, and this whole series is built on this idea of what does it take to see a move of God? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Because we've experienced them before. Some of us in the room have experienced what we considered revivals. You've heard of that before? Maybe you've heard of the Asbury revival that happened a couple months ago where they were praise and worship for 18 days. Come on, somebody. 18 days at Asbury Chapel straight. It was a powerful move of God. Lives were changed there. I would love to see something like that happen here. It doesn't have to be the exact same thing, but I'd love to see something like that happen. And what we find out is in order for those things to happen, what does it take to see a move of God like that in the city? Because that's what we're here for. Let me just remind you guys. We're here to inspire people to love God, love people, and to make a difference. That means that we want to see that go beyond these walls. So I'm just going to tell you right now, if you want a church where it's all about us, and we're going, it's all about us in this room right now, and that's all you care about, and you don't care about any of the souls outside of this room, I love you, but there's plenty of other churches for you. Can I say that somebody? I just, want to get, I just want to tell you up front that we are all about changing the world around us, and we believe that that's what Jesus did, and that was the mandate he gave us when he gave us the Great Commission. That's what we are all about. So to see a work of God or a move of God like that, found it, just, it requires two things. It requires a little blood, and it requires a little thunder. It requires blood being the human work, the human effort, the human element to it, the sacrifices we have to make sometimes. And then the thunder part of it, it requires the power of God. There's, it's, a, it's a two for thing. Now, God doesn't need us. I don't want to give you some bad viewpoints on God. God doesn't need you. God invites you to do it with him. That's exactly what he wants. And there's a natural tendency here. There's a natural tendency for some of us that grew up in the church, and you've probably heard this before, and it's the, uh, oh, oh, there's nothing we can do. We just have to pray. 
That's it. Nothing we can do. We just, we just have to pray. We're just waiting on God to move. Have you ever heard that before? Maybe related to a medical situation or maybe even related to just the way that the church or culture is going. I'm sure you've heard that now with some of the culture war, wars going on. You've heard, ah, we just have to deal with it. I mean, we're, we're praying for a move of God. And I hear that and I always go, you know what? That's amazing that you're praying. I love that. Don't stop that. But what else are you doing? Are you doing anything else? Or are we just praying? Because it's not that we're just praying. There's actually a connection. We, we have some work to do also. Because my pastor, Pastor Mike, said this to, to us one time, and I never forgot it. He said, God will not drive and cannot drive and steer a parked car. It's not that he doesn't have the power to make the car move. He has the power to make the car move. He just expects you to move the car. He expects you to hit the gas. He expects you to be in the car. And once the car is driving, God says, now here's my power, here's my direction. But you have to be in the car. If you're not in the car, it stays parked, never moves. And when he said that, I was like, man, that's powerful. And then when you study the revivals that have happened across history, you recognize that there's this motion or this idea where the leaders of it are pressing forward and they are allowing the Spirit of God to guide, direct, and empower them. But they started moving. And that's the key. We have to start moving. And believe it or not, this is individual. Right now you hear me and you're like, okay, this is only about the church, Brandon. Well, no, this is about the individual also because every one of you is the church. The church is not this building. This is, and you'll hear me say this, this is the church building. This is not the church. The church is everybody sitting in here. The church is, is the ecclesia, is the Greek word, and it means the gathering of Jesus' followers. And many of us hear this, and, and we don't think that we have any part to play. But listen, you have a part to play in God's divine plan. You have a part to play in God's divine plan. You go, me? I'm like, yes, you. Well, hold on, pastor. I'm not the clergy. I'm not a pastor. I can't speak like you. I can't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not what I'm talking about. You don't have to be able to do what I do to be part of the move of God. You have a gift and you have a specific love and care that you can give and something that you can give for people. And as the kingdom moves forward, it requires all of us to be connected. Time and time again, the Apostle Paul explains it where he, can, he equates the body of Christ to a body where you need hands, you need feet, you need ears, you need eyes, you need all those different things. Pastors, let me be very clear, are simply the leaders in this. With Christ as the head, that's all this is. But without everybody in the church, it doesn't happen. It just serve day does not happen if just me and Jonathan show up. I'm, be, I'm still going to be there painting, painting doors, y'all. It doesn't work that way. Because God has equipped everybody. He's equipped everybody to do the ministry. He's equipped everybody to change the world. Not just one group of people, not just one viewpoint, not just one theological stance. He's equipped everybody to change. And you go, and then this is the part when we have the I don't have statements, right? But pastor, I don't have that. Pastor, I can't do that. Pastor this, pastor that. And, and that's no, it's not true for a couple things. Okay, there's two things I want to say. And um, one that's not true, you do have giftings. You do have things that maybe you haven't recognized yet or, or perhaps you haven't leaned into or perhaps you don't know how to leverage them for God or maybe you've never even thought about it. Maybe it's never been something that's even came in your mind. But first, I need to defeat the first lie, which is that you have no role to play. You absolutely have a role to play. You absolutely have a gifting that God is going to use powerfully. 
And then again, we go through the list of all the things we don't have. But listen, you have something. And you go, yeah, Brandon, but it's not really that useful. Hold on. It's not about what you have. It's about what you do with it. We're going to see that in a parable that Jesus gives. It's not about what you have. It's not about the gifting you have. It's not about any of that. It is about what you do with it. He makes his point in one of these parables. Now, to get us to this parable, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 14. So for those of you that have your Bibles, bust your Bibles out. We break it out on your app. Scroll down. Find uh, chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 14. But let me get you to this point because you got to understand the, the, the time in which Jesus is explaining this. Uh, so this is the last Sunday or the last week of his life, of his earthly ministry before he, he's died and resurrected. So this is the last week. Now remember, the last week is a busy week. Jesus is very busy that week. You have the triumphal entry on Sunday, on Palm Sunday. He clears the temple for the second time on Monday. And then on Tuesday, he begins teaching in the temple. And on Tuesday, he teaches in the temple, which is okay for a rabbi, but scandalous when he's teaching what he is particularly because he's arguing with the religious leaders and he's actually telling them what they're doing wrong and their behavior and actions are wrong. So he's teaching about his authority. He gives the parable of the two sons. He gives the parable of the wedding banquet. He, he, gives the, uh, he talks about the tithe. He talks about marriage in heaven. He gives the greatest commandment, the one that we talk about all the time, love God, love people. He gives that commandment during that time because the religious leaders try to figure out what the greatest commandment is. They want to trip him up. And so they ask him. He talks about hypocrisy, and then he goes into what's called the seven woes. And this is where he just rips into the religious leaders. He just rips into all the self-righteous people in the room, and he just lets them have it for like three chapters. It's glorious if you can't stand people like that. So he taught all these things. He, he's, he's explaining all these things and teaching all these things, and I mean, he's just in teacher mode. He's been working all day and uh, the whole time on Tuesday teaching in the temple. Well, now they leave the temple. When Jesus is leaving the temple, there's still some crowds following him because he's Jesus, right? He's teaching amazing things, plus he does miracles. He's a miracle worker. He's doing all these things. So there's all these different things that are happening, right, that Jesus is still teaching, He's still reaching his disciples. And then one, one as he's moving, he's left the temple. He's moving to the place where he's going to rest. And as he's going, he's still teaching. In fact, he teaches about the resurrection using the temple as an example. He walks out of the temple and then uses the temple as an example. Tear this temple down and I will rebuild it in three days. Meaning that what used to be contained inside of that temple is going to be let loose. Meaning the Spirit of God is going to be let loose from that temple and it's going to be imparted on all of you. Tear it down in three days and I will, re tear it down and I will rebuild it in three days. And then he goes to the section that you guys have heard before where the day and the hour is unknown will he will return where he sits back and says, look, and it's not just the day and the hour that he will return. It's actually that he will return and that you have no idea. This is basically of what he explains in this portion. You have no idea what God is going to do. That's what he's saying. You have no idea the timeline God's going to do it or how God's going to do it or what God's going to do. He's talking about what happens when Jesus comes back, but he's talking about all of everything. You have no idea the timeline God is operating on whatsoever. For many of us, because Paul thinks when he's writing, Jesus is coming back in his lifetime. For the majority of his letters, he's writing as if he believes Jesus is coming back. 
And then he gets to the end of his life, and you can see some of his letters shift a little bit. He recognizes it's not going to happen. John felt the same way. You recognize the end of his life. Wait a second. I think I misunderstood. And then John's like, wait a second. Didn't Jesus say we don't know what's going on? We don't know the time and thing? Okay, so that's not, I must have got it twisted. And then, so given that backdrop, been teaching all day, draws out of the crowds in, he's with his disciples, walking back, talks about the resurrection, and then explains you don't know the hour or the day or how or what God is going to do. You do not understand when he's going to return. You don't understand how he's going to show up. He launches into this parable. So, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. Again, it... Now, it is important. The first half of verse 25, or chapter 25, says the kingdom of heaven. He gives the parable of the ten virgins, and then he goes right into this parable. So he's describing the kingdom of heaven. We see it the way he describes it at the beginning of that. So this is important. When you read your Bible, don't just hit your headings and go through. You've got to kind of follow it together. You're not going to understand what it is. So it is the kingdom of heaven will be like a man, in this parable it's God, going on a journey who called his servants, which is us, and entrusted his wealth to them. Now, pause for a second before we get fully into this, because we're about to go into the weeds. Somebody say, I'm ready. Okay. Before we get there, you got to understand how to read a parable. This is, this is so important, especially as you read through the Gospels, because Jesus taught and spoke in parables. And as he's teaching and speaking, you got to understand, in every parable, there is a God character and there is a you character. Now, there's other characters involved in there, and depending on what he does, he's got a lot of different things. But there's always a God character, and there's always a you character. So you've got to identify right away the God character and the you character. So when that happens, you've got to stop, pause for a second, and normally it's right in the first opening sentences. You have to say, hey, hold on a second here. What is, who's the God character, and who is the me character? So in this scenario, the master is God, the servants are his church. So with that, let's get into it. Starting in verse 14. So he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. He says, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag. Each, this is important, according to his ability. Then he went on a journey, and the man who received five bags of gold went out at once and put the money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, for many of us, we hear that, and we feel a little awkward about it. We're like, okay, that guy wasn't as successful as the other one, but I mean, he still did pretty good. I mean, he, still, he didn't lose any money, right? I mean, that's what we're thinking. Jesus continues. He says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. And then listen, he says this, Master, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness, or in some versions it says your master's blessing. The man with two bags came. So our five, a guy with five bags of gold, he comes up and he says, hey, I've returned with five. And he goes, hey, good on you. Appreciate you. We'll come and enjoy in your master's happiness. Okay, good. Man with two bags also came. He said, master, you've entrusted me again with two bags of gold. See if I gain two more. 
And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now here's our third guy. And when he came, he had received one bag of gold. And when he came, he said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold here. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, see, many of us, we sit back and we think, that's good. I mean, homie didn't lose any money. He kept it. I mean, he didn't lose anything, right? Now, now yeah, he, he didn't put it to work. He didn't do what the other guys did. I mean, he, he only got one bag of gold, too. So, I mean, it's not like he's going to turn five. The other guy got five, turned five. The other guy got two, turned two. He only got one bag. So, of course, he's not going to be able to turn a huge profit. And, I mean, he was afraid of the master anyway. He was afraid of him, so he just buried it in the ground, and he sat on it. For many of us, we go, yeah, what's wrong with that? And there's a problem with that. And what's wrong with that is this guy settled for doing just enough. The other two, the other two, they invested and they went out and put the money to work. They were energetic about it. And this guy settled for doing just enough. He was the, this is good enough. This will do. This is the guy who leans on the shovel and says, good enough for government work, right? You guys heard those guys before? They do it and you're like, you're not in the government, bro. That's not, doesn't even make sense right now. Like, it's good enough. He, he was the good enough guy. He wasn't necessarily wrong from what we see, right? But he just didn't work that hard. He just didn't simply work that hard. Have you ever met someone who does just enough? Don't look right up here. Don't look around. Don't look to your left. Don't look to your right, especially if you're married. Eyes up here. Don't look around, okay? It's dangerous for you, and I'm not going to fill the, file the police report. So, in Matthew, the very next verse, his master replied, listen to what his master says. We're all expecting like, hey, <laughs> okay, pretty good job. Thanks, appreciate it, good job. Listen to what his master says. You wicked, lazy servant. To which many of us are like, chill, Jesus. What do you mean, wicked? So you knew, listen, he even says who he is. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown, and you knew that I had gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, listen, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So when I returned, I would have had received it back with interest. You should have at least put it to work passively. I mean, come on, this doesn't make any sense. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Well, wait a second, the guy who had 10 bags, why does he get the one guy's back? And then Jesus explains that he knows what his disciples and the crowd is thinking. So the minute that they, that they ask why, and we're all sitting there going like, well, that was really harsh. That was really, especially if the master's God, that's, that's, that's harsh, right? So Jesus answers it. He says, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them, and throw, and throw that worthless servant that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, some versions of this talks about that it says that, they, uh, that the, the master says, you've been faithful with a few things, you can be entrusted with many, and that's the point 
of the, this is the parable of the talents, if you've heard it before, and depending on the version of the Bible you're reading, I like this one because it talks about the gold, and it's a tangible thing we can see. And man, this guy, this master seems so harsh and so difficult to understand. I mean, he didn't lose any money. Why is he so mad at this guy? Well, to understand, we have to pay attention to one, we have to pay attention to one sentence, and it's the sentence that we breeze over, and maybe we ask questions, but we don't actually know the answers to, or we, we skip over and we just go, that's Bible, and then you go to the next verse. You know what I'm talking about? Tell me we ain't got those verses, where you go, that's in the Bible. What's next, Jesus, right? And it's this phrase right here, and this is key to the parable. If you miss this, you don't understand the whole parable, and that's okay. That's what we're here to do. He says, I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. At first, we hear that, and we go, man, that guy is, how is he saying the servant's lazy? He, he honestly, to be, if we just read on face value, sounds like he's a thief. And it's like, well, how is this master behaving that way and then getting so self-righteous against the servant? And we misunderstand See, he wasn't a thief. Think about it. He gave the money to his servants and then left and came back, and he received a profit. That sounds like an investor to me. He invested the money. He invested the money in the servants. This means that the guy was an investor. He was not a thief, and he wasn't against these guys. He actually poured it into them and expected something in return. He put the gifts in the servants, expected them to go out and return with something. Now, again, in this, we have a very tangible idea of gold. We have a very tangible idea, like, okay, he goes out, puts the money to work, comes back, they get 10 back, you know, yada, 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 this is good. They all enjoy that, right? But the thing is, is it's not just about gold. It's not just about money. It's about everything. It's about everything. Because God, in this story, is an investor. He's an investor and we are the workers. We are the servants. He's an investor. In fact, what he's placed inside of you, he didn't willy-nilly place it there. Remember what it said, the master placed it according to their, does anybody remember that word, according to their what? Does anybody remember? Ability. According to their ability. The master placed based on their ability. God invests based on your ability. And he expects a return on his investment. The difference is, is in this story, it's an easy, tangible gold thing, right? We can track that. God's really more concerned with the eternal return on investment. With the gifts he gave you, how did you witness his name? With the gifts he gave you, how did you bless those around you? With the gifts he gave you, is the world better because you're in it, or is the world worse because you kept it for yourself? Or maybe it just didn't change at all because you were there. Are the people around you, is it better because you're there and the gifts he gave you, did he make a wise investment by giving it to you and you are there pouring it into the people around you, earning an eternal return on investment? Or is it just stagnant? Does it return unchanged whatsoever? And here's the thing I don't want you to miss. They got the bags according to their ability. He's placed those things strategically inside of you, whatever those gifts are. 
Whatever is in your bag of gold, whatever that is, it's strategic and it's on purpose because there is a group of people in the world that only you will reach. Only you will reach them. I won't reach them. Pastor Ken won't reach them. John won't reach them. Rachel won't reach them. There's a group of people in your life, there's people around you that only you will influence, only you can show the love of Christ to. And immediately we go, hold on, Brandon, that's not what I've been taught. I've been taught, bring them in church, sit them down, and Brandon will teach them about God. Yeah, but who's going to get them here? The Google ads, that's going to get them here that don't believe? No. It's when we use the talents and gifts that we have been given to make a difference in the world that we are in. That's how we change the world. Again, it requires a little blood, a little, little work of the human hands, and some thunder, which we're going to talk about next week. But it starts with accepting that we have a role to play. We have a role to play in God's divine plan. Now bring it to today. Bring it to where we are right now. God's invested in you. And I, I can't tell you what it is because it's all sorts of different things. There's so many different things that God has invested in people and put into people, so I can't tell you what it is. Maybe for you it's money. Maybe for you it's literally a bag of gold. God has invested bags of gold into you. And for you, he expects a return on his investment, a eternal return on his investment. The question is, is what have you done with that money to bless those around you and impact the kingdom for God? Second, maybe, maybe you've got administrative skills, maybe you've got tech skills, maybe you're good with kids, maybe you're incredibly patient with people, right? Maybe, maybe you just like helping people. I don't know what it is. But the question is, 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 have you even identified what the gift is? I mean, have we even answered the question, what is the gift and how do I use it? What does that mean? Because here, here's the crux of it. This is the thing I need you to take away. God gave you... The gift God gave you was meant to flow through you. The gift God gave you was meant to flow through you. It's not meant to just sit with you. Whatever that is, it's not meant to just sit with you. He expects an eternal return on investment. Because again, you are part of his divine plan. The church is God's plan A for the world. There's not a plan B. The Jesus followers, there's not a plan B. It's us. We are God's plan for the world. Now, if you are a follower of Christ, I got to be a little bit more honest with you. It's, this is not that optional, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, this is not that optional for you, okay? If you're not a follower of Jesus, then take it or leave it. You know, I think you should take your, your gifts and invest them into the world because the world's a better place when we all decide to do that. But if you're not a Jesus follower, take it or leave it. If you are, however, this is not optional because he says the kingdom of heaven is like, meaning we should be like, the servants making a return on the investment that God has given us. And let's be honest, you've been around people who just use all the things they have for themselves. You've been around people who use all of their own abilities for only themselves. You've seen those people. You've been around those people. You don't like those people. They're not your friends. Or if they are, it's because they're friends of some friends, right? They're people you don't hang out with, the people you don't want to spend time with. Why? Because it's always about them. Maybe they don't say it like that, but 
you've experienced it like that. It's always about them. Here's my point. Here's my point. We're all given a bag. We're all given a bag. We're all given something. And if we want to see a move of God, if we're going to ask that question, you know, the move of God, I want to see a move of God, what does it take? It's going to take us putting that gift to work in the world. That's what it's going to take. And it's going to take God's power. That's true. We're going to talk about that next week. But it's going to take us taking that bag of gold, recognizing whatever the gift is, and putting it to work for him. Now, maybe you don't know what that is. Maybe it's time. Maybe you have a lot of time and you want to do something with it. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's administrative skills or tech skills. Again, maybe you have a business mind and you can just think like that. Maybe you're a writer and you can, you can just string words together in an amazing way. Maybe you have a gift of teaching where you don't really want to be like a school teacher, but maybe you feel like you could lead a Bible study or you're interested in doing something like that. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement. When people are around you, they just feel better because you're there. You've met people like that before. Maybe, maybe it's one of those things where you have a gift of leading and you've just never put it to work before. Or maybe you've only put it to work for yourself. Maybe you have the gift of generosity where you giving something to somebody, you're one, of the, you're one of the people that are great gift givers. That's how you can kind of tell whether generosity is your thing. You just love to do it. You love to see their face. You give and then you wait. <gasps> open the present, open the present, open the present. <laughs> right? If you're one of those people, you might have the gift of generosity. That might be your thing. But I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But I, I challenge you, I challenge you to find out what it is. So the question I leave, with, I leave you with is, what is in your bag? What's your gift? What's your gift? And if you sit back and you go, Brandon, I don't even know where to begin. Here's something that I use every time that my wife taught me that is, is so impactful, okay? Ask yourself this question, where does my heart break? If you're not sure where you're gifting and where God's pulling you and you don't know what exactly it is, ask yourself that question. Well, where does my heart break? Well, my heart breaks for those kids that are, going, that are, that are homeless. Oh, okay, well, well, do you have the gift of teaching? Do you have the gift of giving? Like, if you're just not sure where to go with it, ask the question, what breaks my heart? Identify what's in the bag. God has invested something inside of you. He absolutely has, and he's not done it by accident. It's not like he tripped and fell and gave the ability of speaking to Brandon. It didn't happen that way. Like, well, there goes the bucket. Brandon's got it. <laughs> that's not what happened. Although I love those TikToks when they do that. It's my favorite. But that's, that's not what happened. He was very, very intentional with you. When he created you, he did it for a purpose, on purpose. And you have gifts just like the servants that God has placed inside of you and poured inside of you that you are expected to make the world better because you follow Jesus and because of the gift he's placed inside of you. So if this church is ever going to see a real move of God the way we've seen in history's past, we've got to get in the car. To use the illustration I used earlier, we've got to get in the car and take it for a drive. God will empower it, but we have to be in the driver's seat. We have to be there ready to go. So, what's in your bag? What is it? 
What is the gift or what is the gifts that God has given you that you can use to make a difference in this world? And if you're not sure, ask people around you too. They know. They know what your gifts are. Don't ask them what the bad things are. You're not interested in that. Ask them what the good things are. How do I make you feel? I want to do this. How can I make this place better? And if we do that, we'll begin to see a tangible difference in our city. We'll begin to see a tangible difference in the community around us. You'll see a tangible difference in your workplace if you do that. But you have to identify what's in the back. So what is it? With that, I would love to pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gifts that you've poured out on us. Each one of us has different gifts and different things that you've created us for and abilities that you've given us. But just like in the parable, Jesus said that he is that you have given according to our abilities, which means it was not an accident and it is 100% on purpose. So Lord, help us interact with that. Help us, Holy Spirit, speak to us. What is the gift? What is the thing? What is in my bag that I'm supposed to take and multiply and give to the world around me? God, what is that gift? Holy Spirit, we need your discernment in this moment. For many of us, we may already know the gifts. Maybe there's some undiscovered ones inside of us. But God, speak to us. Help us as we strive to turn the 540 upside down for you. Help us, Lord, see a move of God. It starts with us. It starts with us being obedient. So Holy Spirit, speak. Your servants are listening. God, we love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.